Hola and welcome to today's broadcast of Catholic View. I'm Sheila Birch and thank you so much for joining me this Wednesday evening. Coming up in today's broadcast, we'll be talking a little bit more about the migration crisis. But first, here's a quick look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay tuned. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Wednesday evening, religious and political party leaders urge for the President Zuma recall. Jesuit priest Father Ted Rogers remembered for his remarkable contributions. And Pope Francis reflects on Gloria as well as opening prayer during general audience. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. Pope Francis continued his catechesis series on the Eucharist, this time focusing on the Gloria and the opening prayer. Lydia O'Kane reports. Speaking to the estimated 7,000 pilgrims and tourists gathered in the Paul VI Hall, the Pope recalls the rite of reciting the ancient hymn Glory to God in the Highest. Echoing the song of the Angelus at our Lord's birth, said the Holy Father, we praise the mercy of the Father in sending his Son who takes away the sins of the world. Pope Francis noted that the opening prayer is also called the Collect because it gathers up and presents to the Trion God all our individual prayers. The Pope went on to explain that the priest's invitation, let us pray, is followed by a moment of silence, and he urged priests not to rush but respect these silent moments, adding that without this silence we risk neglecting the recollection of the soul. Silence, said Pope Francis, means being ready to listen to one's heart and, above all, the voice of the Holy Spirit. Concluding his catechesis, the Holy Father underlines that by reflecting on these rich prayers and uniting ourselves with the Church in lifting them up to God, we see how the liturgy becomes for each Christian a true school of prayer. Jesuit priest Father Ted Rogers has died at the age of 93. Father Ted was born in Liverpool on 9th November 1924 and died on 30th December last year. Nosipo Hadebe has more. He served as a merchant seaman during the Second World War and was torpedoed off the West African coast. He and his shipmates set sail in two lifeboats and reached the port of Freetown in Sierra Leone. Father Ted said this action changed his life and prompted him to consider the priesthood and to apply to join the Society of Jesus. Father Ted was sent to Zimbabwe where he soon started a community school. Shortly after that, he opened the School of Social Work. Father Ted was renowned for his work in HIV and AIDS. Ill health necessitated a return to England. During this time, he completed work on two books, his most recent, Missionary Martyrs of Rhodesia and Zimbabwe, 1976-88, being published last year, shortly before his death. During his morning show, Matins, Father Emil spoke to the editor of the book, Paddy Carney, who recounted Father Ted's motivation for writing the book. He saw the film of Gods and Men, which was about Benedict Trappist monks 
Algeria, who also were missionary martyrs. And he was so impressed by that that he said, but it brought back memories that he said, but I have been through this kind of experience. I know people from Zimbabwe and Rhodesia who were martyrs. And that made him very keen to make sure that their stories would be known. The Zambian Bishops' Conference has limited the number of masses in some areas and cancelled the sign of peace at masses which are being held as a result of a severe cholera outbreak around Lusaka. Nosipo Khadebe reports. An estimated 2,802 people have been infected by cholera throughout Zambia, including 66 deaths, the majority of which have occurred in Lusaka. A number of schools have also been closed. Representatives of three Christian communities in Zambia, the Catholic Church, the Council of Churches in Zambia, and the Evangelical Fellowship of Zambia issued a statement on Monday expressing their concern over the cholera outbreak and sending condolences to those who have lost family members to the disease. The churches also pledged their collaboration with government in addressing the epidemic. According to Fidi's news reports, a priest known for his work of conciliating Christians and Muslims in the Central African Republic was the victim of a January 4th assault and knife attack. Father Elaine Blaise Bissialo has sheltered Muslims whose lives have been threatened in the nation's ongoing conflict. Following the attack, the priest was airlifted to the nation's capital and his condition has stabilized. In other African news, the UN peacekeeping chief has urged political leaders in the Democratic Republic of the Congo DRC to stick to an agreed timetable for holding free, fair and credible elections. Matt Wells has more. Jean-Pierre Lacroix was briefing Security Council members on Tuesday, focusing on the role of the UN stabilization mission in the country MINUSCO. Security forces killed at least seven people at the end of December who were protesting against President Joseph Kabila's refusal to step down from office. He had agreed to set a date for fresh elections by the end of the year as he's barred from running again with his official mandate ending in December 2016. DRC's election commission set a new date of the 23rd of December this year, but the opposition says it won't agree to such a long delay. Here's Mr Lacroix. It is imperative that the DRC's political leaders adhere to the constitution, the 31st December 2016 political agreement and the electoral calendar, which together provide the political and legal framework for, for the holding of free, fair and credible elections, leading to a peaceful transition of power and the consolidation of the country's democratic institutions. Political brinkmanship and the refusal to compromise would only result in further delays and deepening of the political crisis. Back home, following President Zuma's announcement last night about the establishment of a commission of inquiry on state capture, church leaders are urging the ANC executive to remove President Jacob Zuma from office. The ANC National Executive Committee members met today for the first time since their election last month. The South African Council of Churches says that recalling Zuma will restore the public's confidence in the governing party. Meanwhile, the economic freedom fighters have proposed at the National Assembly's Rules Subcommittee meeting today that President Jacob Zuma should appear before a special parliamentary committee to determine whether or not he is guilty of a serious violation of the Constitution. The subcommittee is grappling with drafting rules of procedure to govern the removal of a sitting president of the Republic in terms of Section 89 in the Constitution. The Constitutional Court ordered last month that the National Assembly put specific rules in place. 
The EFF's Mbuiseni Nlozi says President Jacob Zuma must answer to Parliament. We have no option but to have our process. Even if uh, there might be someone else out there who has a process, we are suspended that we have to take the responsibility to have our own process. And according to the, this interpretation of the Constitution, or at least according to Section 89, whether we are second-guessing someone or not is no longer relevant. We must have our process. Public Enterprises Minister Lynn Brown has welcomed the announcement by President Jacob Zuma of an inquiry into state capture, saying this is the best route to restoring confidence in state entities. President Zuma announced the establishment of a commission of inquiry yesterday, saying allegations that the state has been wrestled out of the hands of the people of South Africa, its real owners, needed to be investigated. The announcement came on the eve of a meeting of the ANC's National Executive Committee, which is expected to discuss the president's possible recall. Brown's spokesperson says the minister welcomes the appointment of Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo to lead the commission. And finally, more Catholic schools are releasing their class of 2017 metric results. Johannesburg Catholic School De La Salle Holy Cross has announced the achievement of a 100% pass rate. Nosipo Khadebi has this story. The class of 2017's success will make for the school's 31st consecutive 100% pass rate in the 31st year of the amalgamated college. All the matriculants received bachelor's degree passes and 180 distinctions were attained. Headmaster Athel Murray said he is proud of each and every matric, as well as the staff at the school. Mr Murray spoke to Father Emil this morning on the success of the 2017 class. But um, I think the, the key thing for us there is, is one, is our staff. Um, we invest heavily in staff development um, and training and making sure that our, our staff are, are up to speed. We also bring in experienced educators, which helped too. And that was a look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Thank you once again for joining me this Wednesday evening. Coming up next is our feature program and today we focus on the ongoing migration crisis. The Church in the United States is observing the week of January 7 to 13 as National Migration Week. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops says it sees the week as an opportunity for the Church to reflect on the circumstances confronting migrants, including immigrants, refugees, children, as well as victims and survivors of human trafficking. The theme for this year's observance is Many Journeys, One Family, and highlights the fact that migration is common to all families, since all families at some point, whether in the distant past or more recently, have stories of migration. For almost 50 years, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has celebrated National Migration Week as an opportunity for the Church to reflect on the circumstances confronting migrants, including immigrants, refugees, children, and victims and survivors of human trafficking. The bishops of the United States have chosen the theme, Many Journeys, One Family, for this year's observance. 
The theme highlights the fact that migration is common to all families, since all families at some point, whether in the distant past or more recently, have stories of migration. In a message for National Migration Week, the president of the USCCB, Cardinal Daniel DiNardo of Galveston, Houston, noted that immigration to the United States has changed in the five decades since the week was first celebrated. However, he said, migrants then and now share a common desire to secure the great blessings of American opportunity. Cardinal DiNardo quoted Pope Francis' message for this year's World Day of Peace, celebrated on January 1st, which focused on migrants and refugees. The Holy Father said migrants and refugees do not arrive in host countries empty-handed, but bring with them their courage, skills, energy, and aspirations, as well as the treasures of their own cultures. In his statement, Cardinal DiNardo called on all Catholics to reflect on Pope Francis' words and on the immigration stories of their own families. Back in Africa, shocking reports exposing a modern-day slave trade and rampant migrant abuse in multiple detention centers last year has led to a major reassessment of the measures being taken to tackle smuggling along the central Mediterranean migration road through Libya. Mr. Othman Belbesai, the UN Migration Agency IOM's mission chief in Libya, says illegal smuggling networks networks which have imprisoned, tortured and abused thousands of migrants trying to cross Libya must be tracked and prosecuted. Illegal smuggling networks which have imprisoned, tortured and abused thousands of migrants trying to cross Libya must be tracked and prosecuted. That's according to Othman Balbezi, who is the UN Migration Agency IOM's mission chief in Libya. He was speaking after the second flight of the year left Libya for Nigeria on Monday under the so-called Voluntary Humanitarian Return Program, which allows third country nationals to return home. Shocking reports exposing a modern-day slave trade and rampant migrant abuse in multiple detention centers last year has led to a major reassessment of the measures being taken to tackle smuggling along the central Mediterranean migration route through Libya. Mr. Balbesi spoke to Mustafa Al-Gamal. This voluntary humanitarian return program is a specific program to support migrants stranded in Libya and voluntarily willing to go back to their home countries. Those migrants, many of them do not have the funds to cover their ticket back home. So they approach IOM to help them go back home. Those migrants are of different categories. Some have been working in Libya for a long time and now they don't see any future or they lost their jobs because of the current situation. And others are new arrivals who were looking for opportunities in Libya but were misinformed about the situation and find themselves stranded. Another part of the migrants are those who tried their chances to take the boats to Europe and many of them, I would say, were not successful and some of them ended up in detention centers without any means and they thought that going back home to start a new life would be the best option. Just to confirm that this program is based on the request of the people and it's voluntary and follow a detailed registration process with the migrants. Some IOM reports talk about rampant migrant abuse in Libya. Could you... Uh Talk to us some more about that. When we talk about migrant abuse, we know that uh, there is a number of smugglers, increasing number of smuggling networks all over the country. Once you are on the hand of a smuggler, you can imagine that migrants are subject to all types of abuse, especially that the majority of them are not even documented. And many, even when they cross the border towards Libya, 
there is no registration process, so even their families do not know whether they cross to Libya or they are in one of the neighboring countries. So they are totally under the mercy of the smugglers, and there has been reports about many cases of abuse and torture by the smugglers. Now, many international news outlets have been calling this modern-day slavery. Is that really what's happening in Libya? Would you call it that? When we talk about modern-day slavery, you know, when you hold people against their will in a certain location, and when people are traded for money between smugglers, and when you hold people for ransom, torture people sending photos to their families, asking the families to pay ransom, we believe that this is a major concern, and those smuggling networks should be tracked and prosecuted. What are the demographic of this 181 migrants who were sent back to Lagos? The majority of the migrants in Libya are young males. A number of migrants have also some medical issues. So last year we returned 252 migrants with medical cases who were supported immediately with medical escort during the flight, also reception and admission to hospitals upon return back home. When we talk about these vulnerable migrants uh, stranded in Libya, do you have a particular story that you, uh, you'd like to share with us? Many of the migrants, as, as I said, have been in Libya for a long time, sometimes 10 or 20 years. Because of the current situation, they had to leave their area of residence and lost their job. So the migrants themselves became displaced. And this is one of the main challenges for the migrants who stayed in Libya for long. They are used to the culture, they are known in their neighborhood, but unfortunately, once they leave their area of residence, they become unknown in the new area and sometimes perceived as a threat. We hear a lot of stories about promises made by smugglers or by potential employers in Libya, and once you arrive, you are in the hands of the smugglers and you have no power. In addition, a common story now is becoming kidnapping migrants or holding them against their will, asking for ransom from the families. And this is becoming increasingly worrying practice because many people are subject to abuses and torture by the smugglers. And what is IOM looking to do in 2018 to help these migrants in Libya? The return program is only part of the work and addresses a specific and small number of migrants in the country. So if we talk about a country with more than 700,000 migrants, we are talking about the return of 20,000 during 2017, which means that the majority still work and live in Libya. So we will continue with our program, mainly capacity building for all government officials dealing with migration, with a focus on the human rights, but also with a lot of focus on counter-trafficking. We plan to expand and establish new safe spaces to be able to hold vulnerable migrants outside detention. We have signed an agreement with UNICEF to strengthen the cooperation when it to migrant children and unaccompanied minors, and I believe this agreement will be of great added value of our coordination together between the two agencies for the best interest of minors and children. We plan also to continue our advocacy for the closure of detention centers and look more for alternatives to detention. On the other hand, we need to continue with the direct assistance and support to migrants inside detention centers as long as they exist. We are now establishing what we call migrant resource and response mechanism, which includes information sharing and providing immediate support to migrants along the migration routes. IOM does in the country is what we call community stabilization, which is working with local communities, not only to promote peace, but to provide basic services, basic infrastructure, and to support the local communities. Libya is a country that has always been dependent on migrants. Libya would require support in all the fields, especially to have the political agreement and security in place for the Libyans and for the migrants.
me how many women childhood dreams come to pass. Tell me how many movies turn out real. There are so many questions, questions I'd like to ask, so you can understand exactly how I feel. Tell me how many people wish they were someone else. Someone that thinks the world wants them to be. Tell me how many babies will be born just to die, leaving me with these questions, asking why. That brings me up to time. This has been your Wednesday's edition of Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Thank you so much for listening. Remember that I'll be back again tomorrow at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pirsch.